Uh, Sweden's Great Depression. This is a paper uh, that I'm write, co-authoring with Ola Nevander, who's the, a fellow of the Swedish Mises Institute. Um, he has done all the hard work, really, so I take no credits. I take credit only for the mistakes. So what he did was look at some of um, the causes of the depression that Sweden had in the early 90s. And we are kind of expanding on his thesis uh, when he studied under Huerta de Soto in Madrid. So this paper is really an extension of that master's thesis. So very brief history of Sweden. We have the golden years for 100 years with free banking, free markets, hardly any regulations, low taxes, and so forth. Obviously, there was a lot of uh, economic growth during that period. Uh, this took Sweden from being one of Europe's poorest countries to one of Europe's um, wealthiest countries in less than 100 years. Then we have a decline period, 20 years of, well, let's call it excessive statism. And then there is the depression that followed for three years. And then there's the new Sweden rising like the phoenix out of, it, out of the welfare state's ashes, in, in a sense. So what we're going to do in this paper, then, is really look at only this decline period and see whether that actually um, explains the depression that came afterwards. So during this period, <clears throat> Sweden went from being the fourth richest in the world, according to the OECD standard measure, the GDP per capita, uh, to the 16th in 95, in only 25 years. Now, the next measure is probably of more interest to many of you, that the tax finance to private sector ratio. And that's, that's the number of people who are financed either through being hired in the public sector or being on unemployment or having retired with public re retirement. Now, and the private sector, of course, the, the, the productive sector, right? In 1970, uh, there were three people in the private sector to every one who was publicly financed or tax financed. In 1990, it was quite the opposite, right? So you had <clears throat> one and a half tax-financed individuals for each individual in the private sector. So obviously things can go down the twos pretty quickly. Right? All right, so the periods of interest for this paper is really what I mentioned before, the, the decline and then the depression. And now if we divide this period into into sub-periods, if you like, what we really have is 15 years of radically expanding welfare states, along with economic decline. They seem to go hand in hand for some strange reason. Um, and then we have five years of a credit-induced boom, that, and which, upon which followed uh, depression. And I will... I will give you the, the background, which is this welfare state expansion, to give you just a sort of picture of what Sweden was like. And we'll quickly go through what actually, where, where the boom came from, what were the causes of this credit expansion, and can we really use the Austrian business cycle theory to understand what, what happened to Sweden, 
And then there's the depression, and I'm just going to very quickly tell you what, what hap actually happened then. I'm not sure if you're actually, uh, if you're aware of Sweden's big depression or not, but. All right, so what happened in the 70s? Like I showed before, the, there was the golden period, 1870 to 1970, with hardly any regulation, or at least not the first half of that period. And then Sweden was not part of the world wars at all, which of course helped with, with production and everything, because we could just sit back for a few years and then sell our stuff to all the bombed countries. Right? It, it, it helps. It really helps in terms of growth. Right? So you, you, can, you can cover your expenses for welfare programs and things like that if, if the rest of the world is at war and you are not. But we had, suddenly in 1970, we had a lot of regulation on labor. One of the examples is the last in, first out rule that any company could only, if they had to fire someone, first of all, that was difficult, but if, if they had to fire someone, they had to fire the one who was last hired, and so forth. So we had seniority meant you were really safe uh, in your employment. Now, taxes were increased a lot. So in the 70s, by the end of the 70s, we would have a marginal tax rate for any low-income earner at a little bit above 70%. Um, it's much lower now. I mean, some even had marginal tax rates of above 100%, which you could think is not that very nice. Um, there's the uh, this Swedish... Uh, children's fiction author uh, Astrid Lindgren, the author of Pippi Longstocking and things like that. She had a, a marginal tax rate of 102%, I think, something like that. And she, she was a social democrat. Well, well, she was Swedish, so they're, they're kind, of, <laughs> kind of synonymous. But, but she was actually pissed off by this, so she wrote a little, little story about uh, a troll or something like that with that was uh, meant to symbolize the government uh, with its excessive taxes. During this period, we also had very, a lot of uh, price inflation. Now, obviously, this combination is, has a, a bad effect on the economy as a whole. Right? Now, in order to, to uh, get away with this, uh, the Swedish government tried to devaluate, that is, just lower the value uh, politically of the currency as compared to other currencies. Now, in 1976, it happened with 3%. Sweden was, was then part of the Bretton Woods system. Um, the government then wanted to do another 6% in 1977, um, but that was declined, which meant, of course, the politicians find a way out, so they left the Bretton Woods system rather than doing something else. So there was a devaluation of, of the krona twice in 1977, first by 6%, then by 10%. And it lasted another four years, and it was devaluated by another 10%, and then the following year by another 16%. So there, there is not much left of the Swedish currency after the early 80s. Now, all of this, of course, meant that there was in the Swedish market a shift towards capital gains over actual work, right, and productive work. The, the price inflation 
of course, you could, could have deductions for your uh, interest costs uh, on taxes, which, of course, meant that overall, a lot of people investing in capital, they saw no taxes or even negative taxes on their investments, which was a, a good deal for some, I mean, if you, if you saw through the system. So if you look at the national debt then, which is one of these things that also tie into this, you can see that it was about around 20 to 30% here through the 60s and up to the mid-70s, then it suddenly increases to 70% and then to almost 80% of that. So obviously the, the government was expanding, even though they were uh, jacking up taxes a lot, they still had to borrow money. I'm sure U.S. Americans know something about this, but, um, even though you are a little behind. All right, so if you look at, at what this actually meant, then in terms of interest payments on the national debt, you can see here this is during the 80s, or most of it. Uh, we have the interest payments as part of government expenditures and as part of government revenues. And you can see that here in 84, 85, uh, the payment was uh, 29% of government revenues. Now, this 29% is equal to the total Social Security spending, and just the increase that year is equal to all the health care and law enforcement in the country. So obviously, that national debt was a problem. Right? Um, in this situation, of course, the, the secondary debt markets were underdeveloped, there was a lot of regulation on private banks. And private banks were forced, basically, to hoard government debt. Um, and at this period, the government was uh, tried to... Um, let's just skip that. All right, so in 1985, the, the, the story as most people tell it, is that in 1985, suddenly everybody started embracing neoliberal ideals, and there was deregulation, and that caused the crisis. Well, obviously, that is not really true. Uh, there were deteriorating government finances for 15 years up to this point, and in the deregulation was simply a way for government to be able to get more access to uh, credit in the market to cover all their deficits. Now, they, in, uh, they started with a fixed exchange rate in order to assure investors that things were actually going smoothly, even though they had done all these devalu devaluations in, throughout the 70s and in, in the early 80s. And you, as you can see, after this, um, the, non the loans to non-financial businesses by private banks went up just a little bit, 117% in four years. This is during the... the credit expansion period. So what we do in the papers, and that was just a warm-up, so this is the real paper, so if you can just start the time now. <laughs> All right, so what we look at is four levels, really, of what could affect um, the, the money, monetary uh, causes of this depression. And it turns out First of all, that no one has really done any, any study on the monetary causes of this depression. They all looked at ideology and things like that. And what we find is that there's really um, 
a lot going on on this level, the central bank. might come as a surprise to you, but that's where all the action takes place. So I'll just skip the, this a little bit because I'm running out of time, even though you reset the clock, right? All right, so this is the balance sheet of the Swedish Central Bank, the Riksbank. <clears throat> and there are some very interesting things going on here. Of course, there are, there are numbers, so as Austrians, we don't really understand what is going on, but so let me tell you a little bit here. Now, the government debt was assumed by the central bank, and as you can see here, it went from 65 billion to 88 billion in one year, which is quite a drastic increase. Um, also, there's an increase the next year, but this is really, what happened here? This is really just because of accounting, uh, changes in accounting standards. So they were forced to write up the value of the government debt. So this is not a real increase. So the real increase is actually between 85 and 86. Now also, um, with this deregulation, the central bank offered a lot of advances to the private banks so that they could actually uh, cover all the credits given to the private sector. So as you can see here, it went from 2.4 billion to 17 billion and then 28 billion almost in, in three years. Quite drastic uh, increase right there. Now, how, what does this look like within um, the banking sector from the, the eyes of a, a banker? Well, this is a, one confession, I guess. Uh, a CEO of a major Swedish bank saying that in a deregulated banking system, the extension of credit is always at the core of the banking profession. And he says that they're Extending credit was really not difficult at all. That's, that's what you do. And there are no risks involved, basically, so they all did it. And it was an illusion, they realized afterwards, but everybody was doing it, so, so why not? Now, the effect of all this credit expansion, of course, on the market was the salaries went up 9% annually between 84 and 91. Productivity, on the other hand, went up only 1.5%. And we saw a lot of increase in... Yeah, I have like two or three yeah. two, two yeah. slides left. Right, I'll, I'll just finish this quickly. Um, the, there was a lot of investment done in productive um, assets. So commercial property, this number is from Stockholm. It went up 160% in four years, which is kind, kind of drastic, right? So we look at the effect on what, what happened in capital markets and capital in an Austrian sense, right? So it's productive goods producers' goods. And as we can see, during the, this boom here, it went up quite a lot. So the spending on intermediate goods went up by 28% from this credit expansion. And as we can see here, which is the relative spending in intermediate stages, went up exactly during the credit um, expansion, just like we would foresee using the Austrian business cycle theory. Right? So the, capital, the economy was getting more capital-intensive. The structure of production was getting more future-oriented. And there was no additional savings. Everything is actually explained by this increased credit. Now, and this is my last slide. After this, suddenly there is a depression. Obviously, we need to look into why did it turn at exactly this point. 
but that it turned, what, what the reasons were for the turn is something that we know using ABCD, right? But the government abdicates. There's a new government after the general elections. And then they're trying to save the fixed exchange rate, jacking up the interest rate to 500%. It didn't work. It was not enough, obviously. Uh, so they had to let it go, and the krona immediately sank by 35%, despite the devaluations just a decade earlier. So what we have here is really a very, very nice case, it seems like. I mean, it's still a work in progress. Illustrating the Austrian business cycle theory, the causes of the boom, the boom, and the depression that follows. Even though Sweden is a working socialism, of course. And that's the paper so far. Thank you.